Welcome back, universe, to the SFBCPC S1. That is an abbreviation for Sci-Fi Book Club Podcast Season 1. On today's app, we'll be talking about The Year of the Flood, written by Margaret Atwood in Earth Year 2009. I'm your host, Brent Aldrich, and with me as always, via holographic projection, it's John Love. Hi, John. Hello. What's going on with your voice, John? Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe the holographic projection machine isn't working well today. I can't, I can't fix that. Uh, you got any ideas? Uh, nope, we need our maintenance guy to come in here. <laughs> right, just like we need our cleaning guy, just like we need our uh, guy who knows how to drive a spaceship. Uh, just like we need our Dyson, our worm eater. Right. Just gonna pour one out for our Dyson. Amen. Amen. Um, John... Here's the thing. I'm getting right to it. Getting right to it today. Uh, right to the last page. Three. Yeah. Uh, let's just say this is book number two in a series, and it's all spoilers from here on out. Yep. So if you haven't read the book uh, <laughs> and you came here to get a pretty good synopsis of it, you came to the wrong place. Yeah. Uh, hit pause right now on your listening device. Read the whole thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Don't stop. Uh, just leave the leave the podcast open and paused, and then when you finish, press play. Uh, when you, you when, when you done. get up to the last page, then press play, and then we'll play. We'll we'll read the last page as we usually do. Exactly. So we'll save them. You know the the eye strain of having to read one extra page. In fact, I'm not even going to read the whole page. So when you get to this uh, paragraph. You'll know you're finished, and you should hit play on the uh, podcast. When you hear these words, hit play, and it'll just sync as you read it with my voice. Sounds good? Perfect. Audiobook. Last paragraph. We listen. Jimmy's right. There is music. It's faint and far away, but moving closer. It's the sound of many people singing. Now we can see the flickering of their torches, winding torches through the darkness of the trees. The end. Great. Yeah, so I feel like uh, one of the things I mentioned at the end of the last time we talked about the first book in the trilogy kind of leaves us on a cliffhanger again. This one isn't as... We're not right at the precipice of the cliff. I think we're, you know, we can at least we're we're, we've at least looked down and saw our fate or, or some semblance of what's going to happen next. We recognize Maybe. the cliff for what it is. 
Yeah. A, cl- we, a cliff. <laughs> found out how much danger we're really in. Right. It's a cliff. Right. Not a hill. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, but again, I feel like there are really not a lot of spoilers in that final paragraph. Besides, I don't even remember. Was there, was there, did you say a name in there? Uh, oh, yeah. Jimmy. Jimmy. So we know Jimmy's still there. Jimmy Jam. We know we know Jim, Jimbo is in there, and that's about it. But that's pretty much exactly how the last book ended. I feel like as well. Yeah, like the yeah. last paragraph of the last book, like like Jimmy's gotta go. And so yeah, right. Just to say, this is the Year of the Flood, the second book in the Mad Adam trilogy by uh, Margaret Atwood, Maggie Atz. Uh, yes. This is uh, following Orcs and Crake. And uh, preceding Mad Adam. Yes, which I have not read, which is no, why but... I was uh, hesitating. Sure. Right. We'll get there, universe. Don't you fret. Always fretting that universe. That we won't finish trilogies. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. So this book. Yeah. Where, where do we begin? Well, begin at the end. Well, I guess we already began at the end. Yeah. Then where do we go from here? Well, I want to address another thing that doesn't really... Eh, it, ha- it touches this book. Uh, after our previous podcast, which was... Oh, my gosh. Now I'm getting all my trilogies confused. It was the Hitchhiker's Guide uh, Fiveplex trilogy, whatever it's called. Quin- Quintilogy? Yeah. Uh, you and I and our friend Steve was here, and... Um, Afterwards, when I was sitting down to write what we talked about, uh, I was having a hard time finding anything related to the book that we actually covered because we were not really uh, that into it. Uh, and uh, so I did write, though, what, the three things that I thought we talked about the most in that podcast, which I was surprised to see are all three covered in this book. Not that we could have predicted that or like foreseen the future or anything. We will have those powers. Uh, but those three things uh, were frogs, uh, the creation story, and butts. And uh, so imagine, imagine my surprise when on, on page four of the Year of the Flood, well, I could start even earlier, but on, on page four, uh, there is the line, already there are frogs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that really says it all. I think I'm just delighted. We could have started started the podcast with that sentence, ended with the last paragraph, and just wrap it up. I mean, wrap it out. Yeah, I think I think from here forward, that might just be how we introduce every show. Already, there are frogs. <laughs> yeah, that's our like Genesis one. Yeah, that's exactly right. Here we go. Perfect. Uh, yeah, I, I don't remember any reason why we talked about frogs in the other one. Besides, it was just another like toss-off thing by Arthur C. Clarke, or not Arthur C. Clarke. Sorry, mixing up all my authors. Um, who the hell wrote that book? Who wrote the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Uh, Douglas Adams. Douglas Adams. Douglas Adams. Uh, yeah, it was just another toss-off, like weird joke by him about frogs, and yeah. apparently Margaret Atwood's drinking that. Frog flavored Kool Aid as well. Carolyn's frog Which flavored Kool Aid. It's the froggiest Kool Aid in the galaxy. Ribbit, and we're back. 
Um, yeah, great, great stuff. I mean, it, it, it honestly must be some kind of like weird joke in the sci-fi writers guild that they just have to mention frogs in whatever book that they're writing. It's like, you can go crazy. You can set this thing on a planet far away from earth and you still, there's still gotta be frogs there. It's mm-hmm. the one touchstone that brings us all together. It's unfathomable, unfathomable that there would not be frogs, right? in mm-hmm. furthest reaches of the universe. Absolutely. Yeah, so do you have any other references to the, the other two things, butts and creation story? I, you know, I, I guess even before there were frogs, there was a creation story, even in this book, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, the structure, though, similarly to Orcs and Crake, alternates back and forth between a lot of characters. And in this one, it actually opens with, well, we don't really know what it is at the at this point. It's just called The Garden. We come to see later. I think these are hymns from the gods' gardeners. But we get a little bit of a creation story um, at the very beginning called The Garden, um, assuming it relates to the Garden of Eden, um, things like that. So, uh, And then the frogs. And then we don't get butts until we get to uh, scales and tails. Uh, but... Uh, mm-hmm. That's all. Great. Yeah, I thought, well, I guess to get into some content surprisingly early again, because uh, I feel like this book is jam-packed with it. Just full of content. Just content out the gills. Yeah. Um, and then I lost or forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> uh I think just, well, just with regards to what we talked about a lot in the last uh, book in this trilogy, uh, having to do with just a wild structure of the book, uh, this, again, follows multiple storylines that take place uh, both in the past. Well, I guess it all takes place into the past or just like the a recalling of the past. So it's either like, uh, an omniscient narrator talks about something that happens in the past or a character recollects something that happened in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like all throughout a time, like a 25 year timeline. And it took me a really long, well, a relatively long time to figure out exactly when things were happening, who the characters really were because they had kind of multiple, um, very distinct roles throughout the thing. So like they might be this person for these people at one point in the book, and then they're an entirely different person for a different group of people and different time in the book. So again, just structurally, this book was probably even more uh, confusing at times than the previous one. That's not necessarily a negative thing. It, it was, uh, yeah, I mean, cause it was so well, like structured, I think that, that it really worked, but it was just something that tied into something we said about the last book in the trilogy. And so there content. Good. <laughs> Check that off the list. Yeah. And shitty raps and we're good to go. Yeah. John sure has been quiet around the old pod here lately. <laughs> Dyson gone. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. I haven't seen Steve in a while. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard any odd wriggling or rustling. Mm-mm. Haven't pretty, no, pretty no lip portals have appeared, uh, you know, Mm-mm. Cheshire cat style. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, it's kind of lonely, to be honest. I mean, not not that you're not great company and not that I don't keep myself entertained, because I do. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, I just, uh, I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> Did something just download? What, what, what's, what's that now? Oh, no. What's this? I was trying to be quiet, but I just couldn't contain my sneeze. Who? Who are you? I can't see very well. You block behind my uh, peripheral vision. You don't recognize my voice? Uh, have I heard it before? Yes. You're really starting to hurt my feelings we, now. We talked about the uh, earlier I was saying I think my transmission isn't coming through very well uh, from a holographic projection. So that's maybe why I can't hear you very well. Yeah. Nice excuse. It's yeah, me, John, Ray. Nice excuse. Ray. <laughs> oh, oh! I didn't, I didn't recognize you when you didn't come in wriggling like you did last time. I've been trying to be very still and quiet so that you wouldn't notice I was here. Have you been here the whole time? Yeah, actually, I have. I mean, like since the last time you were here. Yeah, I got, I got lost on my way out, and I've just kind of been hanging out. I think my mom's probably really worried about me, but. Are you kidding? No one, no one showed you to the door like a gentleman. That is hard to. No believe. one showed me to the door like a gentleman on this pod. Unbelievable. You have a lot of uh, rooms that are just kind of sitting vacant. Uh, you know, so there's a lot of different places to hide, and yeah, this is a large, large ship. Yeah, Steve was kind of telling us about that when he was on last. There's a lot of bays back there. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I guess we really haven't explored the ship as much as we probably should have. Yeah, I think there might be ghosts in some of the rooms. I don't, I I don't, don't believe know. that. Sounds spooky. It does what? sound spooky. Spooky. I yeah. still don't believe it, but it sounds spooky. Yeah, I mean, me and John have just been, you know, mostly sitting here on our rocking chairs, uh, shooting the shit, uh, just rocking. Yeah, rocking and rapping. He's gonna rock. Pretty much. We're just, just sitting there reading. We don't actually talk to each other at all besides when we're on the podcast. So so here's, yeah. the, here's the thing. Yeah, as John was saying, Steve was doing a big ship inspection last time and was walking around with a flashlight and a radio. <laughs> I, I know he found a couple of bays that I've forgotten about. And maybe we shot somebody out the airlock at some point. What else? Any other? Any other? Oh, we got the time cage. We got the worm farm. We got that. Yeah, I, I know... Basically nothing else besides that. And it's only uh, from what Dyson tells me. Yeah. But he's usually so kind to lock himself in the time cage because I haven't actually seen it in person. Mm. Did you but, find that executive suite, though, or wherever the hell you were staying? There are, there are a couple of them. They're all combined. I think maybe your competition was supposed to have a couple of different people come huh. up to visit. And I don't know. They're, it was very lonely. It like was a, just one, one me and three executive suites. Like a real world situation or, or, or maybe like a survivor. Uh, you form tribes. Yeah. I mean, if there would have been multiple of us, it would have been like an old pain ball showdown, you know, I'd have just uh, taken him out, get him off the ship. This is, this is my territory. So did you, did you do that? Is that why we haven't seen the other guests? No, they never showed up. Or they could be on the ship lost somewhere else. Like I said, it's a very large ship. That, that sounds suspect to me, but I'll believe you because I don't think Corel and Sweet Tea would. 
send a psychopathic killer on board our pod because it's the sweetest tea in the galaxy sip. And we're back. Well, terrific. Uh, you said your mom's probably pretty worried about you. Um, I, yeah. I, 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 I shan't ask an age, but how old is your mom? <laughs> because um, I feel she's like she's probably around. Are you calculating in your head right now? Yeah, just a second. I'm almost there. She's probably 1.2 million years old. It makes me laugh laugh saying it because she looks so much younger than that, but she's probably about 1.2 million years old. Yeah. She's done a lot of hibernation sequences, you know, so she just ages quicker. Fallow states? No doubt. Actually, it kind of is like a fallow state. I think maybe that's where Margaret Atwood got some of her her storylines from. Uh, So I have a quick question regarding timelines. Uh, not really timelines, but just how time passes or how you measure time on Ingle Nook, if I remember correctly, is where you're from. Oh, now you remember. No, this is this is good. <laughs> hey, <laughs> don't come on my pod and criticize me. All right. Uh, so is that 1.2 million Earth years? Because that's what we've been quantifying time with here, mm. just so we don't confuse our listeners. Oh. Well, that'd be a very complicated calculation for me to do. Um, I would, I would think that they're pretty equivalent, but I haven't had math in over six hundred thousand years, so I can't really do that calculation. Did you have that in um, grade school, or was that before grade school? No, that was grade school. Yeah, yeah. everyone had to take math in grade school. So but did. didn't you take? Gra- <laughs> Weren't you in grade school like six hundred years ago? Is it really, really long? <laughs> I've actually, I've been hibernating a little bit um, while on board the ship. And so more time has passed for me, a substantial amount of time than what's passed for you. So yeah, we have to, we have to hibernate sometimes, maintain our strength. Do you do like, uh, do you do like vampire style or like big, big furry bear style? It's kind of a a combination. Um, You you cross your arms across your chest. And hang upside down, but also be in the dark Sound cave. A lot like vampire. Okay. Combination between the two. Okay, you'll combo combo hybo. It was it was hard finding a dark cave type room on the ship to do that, but you, you I found one. So That's do you terrific. think they've ever made a genetic mutation between a vampire and a grizzly bear? That would be a creepy splice. Is that what? You- it's that time again. Oh. <laughs> that uh, looks like what? a vampire. And that one looks like a bear. It's a creature from Inglenook, maybe. <laughs> Bam bear. Uh, that one looks like a spider. That looks like a worm or three. It's a favorite squirm. (laughs) Yeah, so on this uh, episode of Splice, we're going to uh, go around the circle and say the creepiest creepiest splice that you could fathom. So let's start with you, John. Creepiest splice. (laughs) Are clarifying questions allowed this time? Um, they weren't last time. Yeah, I I just don't see a need for them. 
Okay. Uh, the creepiest genetic splice mutation. A spider. <laughs> you guys think you know where this is going, but <laughs> you don't. Uh, that has been spliced with eight other spiders. <laughs> so that each one of its legs is another spider. <laughs> Eggs also spliced with Yes. It's a fractal spider. Sounds awful. And it's fucking terrifying. It sounds fractal funny. spider. Yes. Or a frighter. What would the purpose of that animal be? Just being creepy. Just, Just being the creepiest genetic splice of all time. Okay. Yeah, terrible. Brent, coming coming to you. Okay. Creepiest. Um Let's see. I think that that would have to be. Oh, you know what I think is super creepy are uh, slugs, and so you cross a slug with uh, a little mustache, <laughs> a slug and a mustache. Okay. That's my That's... answer. <laughs> Clarifying questions? Are they allowed? No, no clarifying questions are allowed. All right, but I think I go. I see where you're going. And no, it's just on the whole side of the slug. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Uh, all right, well, is that it? And that is the episode of Creepy Spices. That's how we play creepiest genetic splice mutations. That looks like a ant eater. And that looks like a badger. It's a badger eater. That one looks like a kangaroo. That looks like a kangaroo that's inside of its own pouch. It's it's a kangaroo inside of its own pouch. Boom. Wow, good, good segment. Um, thanks for hosting Great that. Great segment. The, the theme song was even better than last time. That's even possible. How do they keep doing it? Right? That's why we're an award-winning podcast, and we have so many great sponsors, like S- Chicky Knobs. Speaking of, I mean, at some point, we got to get back. In. I mean, I know, John, you're so excited about just all the content in this book, but... Uh... You know, I think I actually have a segment that needs to get done. John, I don't want this to go to your head, and I don't want to... I want Too you, late. I want you to change when you're famous, John. Just tell you that now. You do want me to change when I'm famous? No, I do not. I don't, I don't, want, I don't want fame to change you, John. I want you to change when you're famous. You get rid of change. five of those extra legs. <laughs> I'm keeping them. I'm keeping them right here. Terrible. Uh, dreadful uh, here's the deal Um, so you know Dyson gets all his fan mail because everybody loves Dyson for some reason he's so great we all want to marry him Uh, vicious air quotes if you couldn't hear that universe Uh, not just for Dyson somebody misspelled Dyson yeah it's it's, it's fan mail not just for Dyson anymore um, is the name of this <laughs> that's, that's segment. A, that's a, that's a new slogan of fan mail in general. Yeah. Fan mail. 
It's not just for Dyson anymore. That's right. It's for the rest of us. The other 99% Dyson. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, um, I think it's time for the old mailbag segment. Uh, I have a question. Yeah. Clarifying question. Are they allowed in this segment? We're not even in the segment yet, but I'm pretty sure they're going to be allowed. <laughs> Are they allowed in this pre-segment preamble? Uh, yes. Preamble uh, clarifying questions are allowed. All right. Uh, somewhat based on some themes from the last time we, we talked with our friend Ray here. Mm-hmm. Why isn't it called a female bag? <laughs> All right. Continue. I have no response to that. Yeah, it wasn't worth it. Sorry. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, clarifying question asked. Moving along. Uh, it's t- yeah, it doesn't necessarily require an answer or imply needing an answer. So, yeah. Right. Clarifying Time. answers are not allowed in the preamble. That's correct. Only in the postamble. So, anyway, uh, there is an intro song. So, just, uh, just press the old button. The mailbag segment intro song. It's the mailbag. It's the mailbag. Why isn't it? A female bag. That's not a relevant question for a theme song. <laughs> but we put it in here anyway, because we're ding-dongs. Mailbag! Yeehaw! Doop, doop. Uh, you and me got some fan mail, though, John. What? <laughs> That's right. I, I don't believe it. Um, I'll show it to you. It's right here. Oh, you yeah, just you... unfolded that out of your origami body. Yeah, I just folded it up and made it like a little uh, like pocket uh, napkin, whatever you put in your shirt pocket. That's where I keep our fan mail now. Pocket square? Yeah. Uh, so, John, I'm just going to read uh, this letter that we got. Man, I'm so glad that we finally got to use that mailbag song because we finally got fan mail for the first time ever. That's right. Just been sitting here. On Sorry, news. go ahead. Um, I'm uh, going to read you this letter. It goes a little something like this. Hi, just found this podcast and I'm a new fan. I've read almost all the books you posted and am looking forward to what you pick next. I was also interested in purchasing a patch if they're available. Thank you from the hand of doom. Spooky. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is kind of spooky. It's we have, a, a hand made of dooms. Dang. Was yeah. it do, like a stack of doom video games? Yeah, I, I think so. Articulate. Let's put a patch figures. on that. Yeah, uh, so absolutely. There's a patch coming your way, hand of doom. And, um, and you know, probably anything else you ask for will probably come your way. Just just try. But um, yeah, do you, Have you written a book that you want us to review poorly? That's right. Bring it on. We'll review it poorly, or if you wrote it poorly, regardless. Um, if you got any sick beats to send our way that we can rap over, mm-hmm. it's an option. So, so basically, I guess all the, all the things that I am imagining that you would want us to do all involve you making something for us. So, yeah, never mind. Yeah, you know, whatever. Um, but we're uh, obviously thrilled that you're... Um, enjoying anything that you've heard broadcasting uh from this sector of the universe um you know and uh 
give us some book recommendations or whatever. That'd be a cool thing. Um, but there's patches and whatever coming your way. Right into that big old doom hand. That's right. Close up the mailbag. Zip. There was head Close that, that big zipper. Yeah, it's convenient. It's a really big zipper and a really big bag for one letter. Yeah, which we didn't even put in. I put it back in my pocket. So, oh, dang it. Yeah, but we do appreciate it. Uh, we 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 do this for the fans, uh, of which there are now at least confirmed one. So, thanks, universe. You're the best. Yeah, and you decide. Moving along, back to that uh, that big load of content. Just that big steaming load of content you wanted to get to. Big steaming pile of content. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, do you have any in particular place that you wanna you wanna start with this book? Or yeah. Ray, do you have any particular place you wanna start with this book? I thought this book was more complex just because all of a sudden you have two characters that are um, both telling stories from present tense and you know, you're looking back on what they've gone through in the past, but in the first book, we just had Jimmy and Snowman and far fewer character names to remember. And in this book, we start off and you have to learn all the different gardener names. Um, so there's, there's a lot more characters and you're seeing the characters uh, at different points in time. So it's also kind of more difficult as far as temporally. Um, so this this book is harder, I think, to get into initially. But by the third or fourth chapter, you're just really, you, you know, you, you've dove in and you're part of the story and you just want more. So it's it's a good one. Definitely. Yeah, I'll, I'll say, I mean, maybe the, the place I'd like to start is just talking similarly to that, just talking about the structure a little bit and saying that I, I was trying to think, I don't think that I've ever encountered another um, sequel ever written quite like this. So... You know, ordinarily any other series I've read, you get to the end of the first one. We had that massive cliffhanger where we were like, oh, I see what you're doing, Margaret Atwood. You're just setting up for a sequel. Um, But instead of just following that same timeline, uh, this book essentially just starts back over um, at basically a retelling with different characters of exactly the same events that happened in the first book. And to me, that, I mean, just that in and of itself to me, like, really overwhelmed my whole read of this book. I just thought it was a really smart move um, because in a sense, it's like you've already told this story in, in a, in a narrative way. And so retelling it just from the outside, like if I was to describe that to you, it's like, well, why retell the story? But I think the reason you tell that is because you're telling it from characters who are marginalized in the first book. Um, and so now all of a sudden, um, take on this leading role. So I was, I was first of all just really impressed because I had never encountered another sequel um, in a series or just any book in a series to do that. I don't think. Yeah, the fact that she chose to do it that way really let her create a universe. I mean, you kind of get a sense of what the universe is in the first book, but the second book really adds a whole, I mean, additional layers. But um, the way that the the author does that, that she really does create an entire universe where you realize there's all these different characters that are affected in different ways and that have 
you know, different impressions of what's going on to them and what's happening around them. And so it just makes the whole story more interesting and more real. And I've actually seen her do this before. I read um, a collection of short stories by her. I think it was the Stone Mattress. Um, I think that was the name of the the collection of short stories. But there was one short story in there where she she did this a similar thing where um, it was the, the same universe told by four or five different characters and nothing was changing as far as um, what was going on. It was just being told from each of their different um, perspectives. And in the same way, it just it allowed her as an author to create mu- a much more like vivid, real universe than if it was told from only one character's perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, on that, all of those sort of same lines, um, I, I'm just going to I mean, it's not rating systems yet, obviously, but I'm going to go ahead and say that I did enjoy this book even more, or I got more, at least got more invested in the characters because, uh, well, I think like Ray said, uh, you do get a better sense of the universe. And I think that's partially because the characters in this book are not at all like the privileged section of, uh, of society. Whereas Jimmy and Craig are both, um, you know, very well off. They're from the compounds, which are basically, you know, uh, corporate owned, like private living communities that has everything provided for them. And the people that we follow in this book, um, primarily Ren and Toby, uh, have very difficult lives, uh, very far outside of the like gated community life. They live in the slums, essentially, for a big part of the book. And so uh, it just seems that everything that they do, there's a lot more writing on it. Whereas with... Um, Jimmy slash snowman in the previous book, he just kind of, you know, uh, screwed off for a big part of his life, I guess, until this giant cataclysm happened. And then we kind of see the aftermath of that. But before that, there wasn't really a lot writing on any, any decision he made. So I think that's one way that I got into this book more. It's that everything that happens to these characters has sort of a life or death, um, Mm -hmm implication a lot of the times um yeah they, they are much more the marginalized uh section of humanity in, in this particular book yeah i mean i think we got so they're in the plebes which is like the slums um which is great so you know it, it is as you were just saying it's characters that um when jimmy and craig would have gone through there before it was like oh we're going to the plebes uh but they are a privileged class it doesn't get to see that so they think a certain way about that. Um, we also have two women as the main protagonists in this book, which changes the perspective of mentally. And then the other thing I wanted to say, because I know that on, and I don't know why I went down this uh, rabbit hole on some other episode. Um, I, I forget which book it was, honestly, but I was saying something about like, you know, obviously narratives are told about the main protagonists. And I know I was using the example of like, like I always do, like the Lord of the Rings. So in that one, you know, you tell the story about Frodo uh, marching off to throw the ring into Mount Doom because he's the hero, right? But you don't tell the story of the rest of the hobbits just back in the Shire while all this is going on because shit's pretty messed up for them too. But in this book, it felt like you do tell those hobbit stories, right? Um, 
so while in I think Orcs and Crake we did get like um, that more like heroic narrative which I think is just like got the legs cut out from under it in the year of the flood kind of an amazing approach to uh, a sequel mm-hmm. yeah the well this is being kind of just silly or frivolous but do you think that Margaret Atwood just tried to make a straight-up sequel and then got like you know the three pages further along in the narrative that she got with Jimmy at the end of this book and then like no, eh, I'm gonna go backwards instead that seems like more fruitful place to go yeah I'm sure that's how she wrote it <laughs> yeah thank you Just right right on <laughs> nail on the head head on the nail nail on the head whatever speaking of somebody cutting out the legs from their own question I just that was terrible what is this guy doing Ray do you want to take over for me I'm just gonna you know float off the pod say goodbye never come back again it's not a no went to a a dark place there (laughs) that's what happens that happens when I ask a a stupid question that's what happens when I try and tell a joke but then I immediately cut it you know I say it's going to be stupid before I even get there sorry universe (laughs) this brought to you by Carolyn's Sweet tea. This this fuck up of the podcast brought to you by Carol and Sweet Tea, the sweetest tea in the galaxy sip. And we're back. I do think that's a really interesting thought, though, because I never stop to think who is the protagonist now, now that we've met these other two characters and we know so much more about them. I mean, I don't think either of these characters were even, uh, well, Ren might have been mentioned briefly in the first book. I don't think we hear anything about Toby in the first book. But now all of a sudden we're presented with these other characters. And thinking back, I, I don't know if there is a main protagonist at this point after book two. If I had to pick, I would pick Toby. But um, I guess because she seems to be performing like more of the heroic type uh, acts that we've seen so far. But there there isn't really a main character anymore. So it has the, the storyline which initially only involved Snowman and Jimmy, really has been tilted on its axis. And now uh-huh. it's, yeah, this book really transformed the, the, the storyline for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something that I really liked actually in this book was when they would talk about, well, uh, after, this is jumping kind of way ahead into the book, but um, so the big kind of apocalypse happens and everybody's fending for themselves. But then in this book, you meet a lot of the same characters that are around at the end of the book in the beginning, but at the end of the book, you know, they're all surviving and actually doing, you know, fairly well given the circumstances. And then they have seen Jimmy snowman uh, and they just kind of talk about him. Like he's this like lowly crazy person who's obviously going to die soon. And they like, like steer clear of him uh, because they just like think he's totally screwed. And I think that, yeah, it totally like undermines what was going on. Well, I don't know. I, I think kind of your opinion of of Jimmy and Snowman uh, f- that you develop in the previous book, because because even though I don't think he gets near to the character development that either uh, Ren or Toby do in this book, uh, in, in the last book, um, you still you know he's the main guy, so you still end up like feeling for him, and I think it's a lot. Uh, yeah, he gets like totally kind of dumped on in this book even at the very end he's just like totally stunned 
doesn't know what's going on. You know, his festering foot wound is even, it sounds even worse now. Uh, and yeah, he's just kind of this hapless random minor character now uh, versus he was, you know, the, the, the man of action in the last book, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. I, I, I thought that whole deal was one of the best parts of this. So, you know, and again, like that cliffhanger that the book that works in Craig ended on, where it's even it even went to the point where I was like, oh, really? You're just setting up a sequel uh, where it was like, and there's three human beings on the beach, but only two sets of footprints. No, uh, but um, it's um, uh, when Dyson carried you along. I really, you know, so I was obviously I was expecting, you know, this book page one to be like. And those three people were as follows. And it wasn't. Um, and in fact, it wasn't for like halfway through the book before we even get to that. Or it was further. I mean, it was probably like two thirds of the way through the book before we get to that moment again. And at that point, we obviously we know who they are at that point. And then that's also when there's just some like offhand remark like, oh, yeah, there's also a like I think they say like a crazy guy who lives in the tree. Um, and it's like, oh crap, that's Jimmy. And then the more that you read with Ren in particular, who knew him previously, um, the way that you read her descriptions of him, I think all of a sudden, um, you know, seeing him through someone else's eyes, in particular, this woman who had a relationship with him, it's like, oh, he's a bad person. Uh, whereas in the first book we had like the luxury of him narrating his own, his own story, right? His own storyline. So yeah, I, I thought that this book, not to just like turn on snowman immediately, but I pretty much did um, just by having another perspective on him other than his own. Yeah. I'm really excited to read the next book and I'm really curious to see what uh, perspective we get. If all of a sudden we get to hear more about Oryx or if we're going to hear more about Glenn slash Craig or what. Um, but I am really excited to see kind of where she takes this, um, the story in the next book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think just in regards to narrator perspective, which I think we talked about that during the last podcast, uh, not, not the very last podcast, but the last um, one in the series, Oryx and Craig, it's just kind of, it's almost just as complicated as the overall narrative structure. Like in any individual paragraph, you still don't really always know exactly who's saying what. Uh, And I think last time we talked about how that had to do with like Jimmy losing his language and how everything has to kind of live on as language in some way. Uh, But in this book, uh, there's one paragraph uh, in particular that I marked that I wanted to to read audiobook. So sorry, this is uh, a little bit long, but uh, hopefully there's a payoff. We'll see. Uh, So audiobook. Quit stalling, she tells herself. She has to leave immediately so she can get back before the afternoon rainstorm. Stupid to get struck by lightning. Any death is stupid from the viewpoint of whoever is undergoing it, Adam 1 used to say. Because no matter how much you've been warned, death always comes without knocking. Why now is the cry. Why so soon? It's the, it's the cry of a child being called home at dusk. It's the universal protest against time. Just remember, dear friends, what I am living for and what I am dying for are the same question. Uh, so for one, I think there's a lot of interesting questions about like, death and your own perspective of your own importance and all that in that paragraph. But also 
it starts by with a quote from Toby, uh, one of the main characters, and then uh, it's kind of like an internal dialogue, and then it almost becomes like the author directly talking to us or the narrator directly talking to us, the reader. Uh, so I don't know, like in that one paragraph, you kind of get like three different perspectives of who's saying what and whose story is being told by whom. So I don't know, I think that I, on a paragraph by paragraph level, sometimes sentence by sentence, uh, you get a lot of weird narrator perspective, uh, which I think is just really interesting in this particular book. Yeah, and even stuff as basic as, like, I think that Toby's was completely told in third person and Ren's in the first person. And then there were these, like, homilies from Adam 1 and these God's Gardener's hymns that were thrown in. I mean, it, it, it again, like... It gives you some sense of who's doing the talking, but you're absolutely right. It also then pulls that apart and yeah, it problematizes, you know, whose ideas are even whose at some point. And, and with that, like just another comment that's kind of similar to that is how good I think Margaret Atwood is at writing different people's voices or different, the way different people kind of think and speak. Uh, so when Ren her kind of first person narrative parts, it, it sounds like if she's at the time supposed to be 15 or whatever, she sounds like a 15 year old. And then if she's a little older, she sounds, you know, like super appropriate for kind of who she is, what she's about and how old she is. So I think Margaret Atwood is super, super good at nailing uh, who people are based on, you know, how they speak, how they kind of think. Uh, so yeah, she does a really good job of that, I think as well. Okay, so just another, I mean, there's a couple of things. So, I mean, basically, a very general gist of some of this, too, is that Ren and Toby have these complex backstories. Uh, they both leads them to live with these gods, gardeners, who were who were mentioned some in the first book, um, but not a lot. They were one of these fringe characters, yeah, kind of like a cult. But again, you see it from the inside, and so it becomes... Uh, somewhat lovable right um again i think just a matter of perspective on who's telling the story um eventually both of them leave the god's gardeners the god's gardeners whole deal right now is that uh, they're preparing for the flood the waterless flood that they believe is coming and it does come which is the same narrative told in a different way from orcs and crake and uh, that plays out, and it lands them all back where Orcs and Craig landed also, um, post-disaster. So, you know, there's a whole lot of this, too, with the God's Gardeners, where you're trying to piece together. Because the whole thing, at the start of the chapters, it's framed with these things from Adam 1 and with a hymn. And so it is told largely with this idea's driven home or, or a theology right of the god's gardeners that frames a lot of the thinking that informs ren and toby's actions but then they also have these other more complex backstories so um so i think a lot of it i was also trying to p pick apart like well what is uh god's gardeners theology or how does that hold up or what are some of the main tenets of that and and so i think for me there was a whole I do have a list, Ryan, that I was trying to like understand, like, okay, what do they believe? How would they, how would they say to react in a given situation? And I think that the simplest uh, answer to that is that 
well, they just bend the rules to fit each new scenario by and large. You know, there is there is a belief structure. Um, there's some creation narrative and, and things like that. There's certainly internal hierarchies. But I think when it comes down to it, it's like, well, we're all vegetarians and all animals are sacred, but we, we've got to eat right now, so we'll eat this, and here's why. And so I think it's a very flexible theology um, that, that bends to the will of mostly Adam one. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, John, you want to sing one of these hymns though? Uh, sure. Yeah. Which, which one? Um, I, there was one that I quite liked right at the start of chapter 11. Yeah. Found it. Okay. Just, I think, Follow along. I think you'll you'll catch the tune here in a second if you haven't already. Okay. Okay. At least first one. Yep. (laughs) Oh, let me not be proud, dear Dear Lord, Lord, nor rank myself above (laughs) the other primates. Through we grew, we grew into your love. That's beautiful. Oh, yeah. Okay, good one. Fantastic. Well done. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I think with regard, which, I mean, I I don't want to cut away time from our singing segments, but. uh, uh, to go to your point that you were making before that, uh, I think, uh, and what, God, I, I'm losing my train of thought all over the place tonight. Sorry. Um, I just really wanted to say that. Yeah. And I got tears in my eyes because it was so beautiful. Yeah. Can't, I can't, I don't can't have remember anything that's going on. Um, with regards to the religion being super flexible, yeah. I, well, my favorite part maybe in the entire theology that is laid out by Adam one in those kind of weird sermons that he does uh, is the one that kind of talks about how silly and frivolous religions themselves are. Mm. So the one that like very directly undermines its own authority. I can't remember which one that was exactly, but, um, but yeah, I don't know the kind of the whole message maybe is that you have to, I don't know, you have to have something bigger to believe in, even if you don't really believe in it, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I think maybe goes back in something we talked about uh, with Oryx and Crake, which was um, like the, the perspectives on the reality of different things, uh, which is a convoluted way <laughs> of, of introducing that. But I'm just thinking about like Toby, who became one of the Eves in this kind of religious sect had a lot of reservations going into it because she never really felt like she believed in it at all. And then just because she kept practicing it by the end of the book, she ends up being probably the one who most like firmly believes or, or, or at least firmly practices some of the things yeah. uh, like nonviolence and when you can help it, uh, you know, avoiding eating uh, animal proteins, if you can help it, uh, where at the same time Adam one is sending out these sermons saying we ate a bunch of rats today and that kind of thing. Uh, so it's weird. Uh, like every character in this book has like kind of several different identities throughout it. And so 
it's just interesting, I think, on a human level to see who believes, you know, that in, in whoever they are at that point and when and why. So you have um, Zeb, this kind of big, seemingly burly bouncer type character that's one of the gardeners, but also obviously has like done some pretty terrible things and blatantly disregards the rules of the gardeners often and wears like his own clothes and goes out in the world really often. Uh, I don't know, just like people pretending to be something uh, and then being something else maybe. Mm -hmm. It seems like there's a lot of that going on in this book as well. Yeah, well, I certainly thought that by the end when you've got like Ren and Toby and many of those other gardeners who have, have made it to some extent, like they're alive and they're figuring out how to go on now. Uh, meanwhile, the Adams and the Eves that are remaining are like going back to one of their like holes to another. Uh, they go back to the rooftop garden and they eat whatever meat and like, you know, coffee product they can scrounge together. Um, and then they die, we think. Um, and, and so it is a really, I mean, it, it is, um, while they're scrounging and, and he's still like giving these kind of strange sermons up to the very end about how this is okay now. Um, in the end, mm-hmm. they don't make it right. Um, whereas you've got Ren and Toby in particular, who, who, as you just said, I think do have some kind of practice that allows them, that allows them to, um, I, I, don't, I don't know, at least be, true to um a system of belief that uh productive in a way or it it at least has allowed them like to find each other and to find a new like group of of people to continue to practice this whatever this is with right to practice life like they're being true to their belief being true to their belief without believing in their belief which is almost i think the most um you you can see that the most easy or I saw it or noticed it, I guess, um, near the end of the book when Toby and Ren have just come across Amanda and trying to save her from these two like really gruesome, horrible individuals who anybody else would probably have killed them on the spot. And Toby definitely would have killed them on the spot had it been, you know, twenty years prior or something. And she refuses to do so at this point because now that's that's her belief system is that, you know, they'll tie them up and they'll take them with. And she's even going to give them soup and allow them to live after she knows what they've done to this other woman and what they probably will do if they get away. Yeah. Um, so there's still a threat. And she holds on to her new belief system and decides that, you know, well, we're going to feed them and we're going to keep them alive because that's that's what she does now. She's a healer. That's, you know, her role. Mm-hmm. Which Which might all go back to again, like whose story we get to hear, because I don't know, it seems like if we would get Adam one's story, for instance, like from his perspective, you know, maybe his personal journal or something is saying like the exact opposite of some of the sermons because the sermons, and we get a little bit of like kind of the behind the scenes of him as the gardener, like kind of bending the truth to fit. Yeah. To fit some narrative that he's trying to kind of create but yeah, again, Toby, who throughout the book really does stick closest 
to some of the tenets of the religion, um, including like her main antagonist, a guy named Blanco, who kind of uh, is a huge threat to her throughout the entire book. And then she gets the opportunity to uh, kill him and does it in a really, um, I mean, doesn't eventually give him poison basically, but it's, but also gives like puts uh, something that puts him to sleep in the poison. So he doesn't really go out in a painful way. And he was going to die and suffer anyways. So it was kind of a merciful thing. Uh, and then later you hear her, like after she does that, like she curses him, like mm-hmm. as she does. So like, you know, she, she acts a certain way um, fr- from a seemingly like deep, deep held belief. But then also we, we see, witness her true feelings which are like basically fuck that guy mm-hmm. uh you know I'm, I'm sad that he made that that my beliefs made me be merciful to him in some ways mm-hmm. um and then but yeah because again we we get to see her story from kind of her perspective for a long time she felt like a fraud in the gardeners because you know she didn't believe in the thing uh, so yeah, I don't know. It's just it, maybe everybody else felt the same way about their their beliefs as the as a gardener or whatever. They also didn't believe, but acted a certain way because it you know helped them get by or whatever. I mean, I definitely want to talk some more about that closing scene with Toby and that uh, feast day, right? Because I think that's kind of an amazing way that this one really wraps up. But I I definitely had big notes of that as you two were just talking about that of that some idea of double speak or I, I think Adam one at some point even says something to the effect of people can believe two opposite things at the same time. And, you know, they can both be true or, or, or not true, but you still believe both, whatever. And, and I think that that idea really underlines a lot of Gardner theology to begin with, because a lot of it seems reactionary in the sense of, well, there's this, well, they say there's this flood coming, but it also seems just very reactionary to there's this prevailing attitude towards uh, consumerism or these whatever uh, higher powers that the gardeners have really said, well, we're against that. But then it's also developed a system of theology that says, well, humanity is going to get wiped out um, and original sin in Gardner theology is for humanities is essentially for creating humanity. Uh, it's for failing to be as simple as a little animal. Um, and, and so I think any system of belief that starts with, well, humanity is just going to get wiped out, uh, is in and of itself problematic. Um, because we, you know, we are humanity. And so are we getting wiped out and that's better are we somehow better than and going to survive it? You know? So anyway, I think that's problematic. And to some extent you have to almost double speak to believe in that as a basis. And and it's similar though, even to Craig, I think in the previous book where he also similarly thinks that humankind needs to be basically exterminated. Um, And he's, the one to do it. Um, you know, he's a piece of shit though. We basically find out. And so like, you know, why, why he would be the one who could make a more perfect human, uh, is as mysterious as why the gardeners should survive the flood. 
Mm-hmm. And I haven't really like thought about it uh, all that much to try and make a lot of really solid connections, but it almost seems like the gardeners and the Krakers, I don't know. I mean, they're, they're both like sort of like earthy quote unquote people, you know, they, um, they both want to be, or kind of designed to be from, I guess, from different perspectives, uh, beings that are more suited to living with, uh, an earth that wants to, I don't know, have other species and, uh, not basically get destroyed by product, like industrial production, that sort of thing. So it's like, beings that can live with the earth in a more like kind of rustic, uh, less produced way. So the earth as it is instead of the earth as what humans have done to it in some ways. So it's kind of, they're both looking for this like uh, perfect creature, perfect utopia mm-hmm. uh, between the earth, but just from different perspectives, Craig from a sort of scientifically engineered perspective and uh, the gardeners from like a, I don't know. Uh, well, I guess I would the religious um, take the religious perspective to try and kind of force themselves. Uh, yeah. To be the perfect people for the, the world. I don't know. Yeah. Well, we get some hints about that during the second book where it seems like some of the gardeners might have been um, responsible for helping Craig and others um, kind of like, push the earth to the brink and cause this, this whole thing to start. Uh, We see a little bit that uh, Zeb has gone off and started um, kind of another subset um, of the gardeners. And we don't know a lot about that. I think we're kind of in the dark um, as far as when the book finishes, maybe we'll get more in the third book, but I think we know that there's a little bit of there's, there's something going on between the gardeners and, what Craig was doing um, in the compound that kind of led up to, to this point. We just don't really know yet how all those pieces fit together, but there's some kind of connection there. Yeah. And, and there is so much, I mean, there's so much of it that is a matter of like from whose perspective, I think you're seeing a thing, you know, so what was easy to see um, Jimmy in more of a hero role last time, you know, now it's like, Oh, well, he's not, not so great either. Um, but, um, I think it's the same thing for the whole like creation of this, uh, plague that wiped everyone out. Um, the flood, um, you know, that's from some people's perspective. Sure. That's great. But, um, if you're the one being plagued upon, um, it sucks. Um, you know, there, there, there's a few of these things too, though, there's just one, a couple instances I wanted to bring up that I really love just these one-off things people say that maybe uh, give away some of what they believe. So Zeb at one point when they are burying the ashes of one of those eaves, um, like under a shrub in that park. And I forget who or when that was, but um, they're just in regular, like a, a pickup truck looking like they work there and, you know, people are hollering at them or whatever. And Zeb says, uh, he says, wherever there, wherever there's nature, there's assholes. And, uh, I think that's such a like direct contradiction to, uh, everything the gardeners would say, uh, about nature and where assholes are, um, that they're maybe not in nature, you know? Um, and so I, I think that's one of those like one-off statements, but that actually 
uh, says a lot about maybe what he actually believes. What the? What, what's that now? Was that a rapping at our very door? I think it was a rapping at our very door. I guess I'm I'm closer to the door, so I'll uh, I'll get that one. You want to float on over there? Yeah, yeah. Just one second. Hello. Hey, how are you doing today? I'm all right. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Um, I'm just trying to, you know, uh, sell some uh, products today. Um, my name's Dan. I will uh, be... Uh, my name's Dan. My name's Dan. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's actually how you pronounce it. Good job. It's a common name. It is. Uh, it's a biblical term. It means a uh, cat. Um, Great. We're talking about religion and all kinds of stuff right now today. So appreciate. Oh yeah, I'm I'm actually hosting a podcast right now. So if you can make this quick, I got I got some stuff to do. Oh cool. Well, I just have some cold bond and some uh, black pepper from uh, Food Club and some Miller Lite. I'm just trying to sell it to you. Okay. Uh, well, we got uh, other sponsors, but if you just want to do like a quick bit, we could probably. Well, I don't know. We'll have to talk to Corell and Sweet Tea, Sweetest Tea in the Galaxy sip. And uh, see if they would be okay with other advertisements. But yeah, if you want to just record a little thing, I got a mic here, so you can just speak into it, and yeah, I'll see what we can do. Oh yeah, no, I've got no problem doing that now for you. Um, <clears throat> bing, bing, bing. Hello. And now we're gonna take a quick commercial break and see uh, the uh, state of Nebraska. And how it is. That's full glory. This show is uh, sponsored by Galbon and Itch Lotion. Food Club. Black Ground Pepper. And Miller Lite. If you ever have an itch to drink some beer... Might as well come to the state of Nebraska. I know it's not quite the champagne of beers. Or the itchiest, the unitchiest of itches. But Nebraska, it's a good life. All right, well, I got to go, so. Okay, bye. See ya. <laughs> and we're back. Hey, what'd that guy want? Uh, yeah. He, well, he wanted to advertise. I told I him. The heck? Anyways, yeah, he wanted. I think he's like at our window now. <laughs> Anyways, he said he wanted to do some advert. He wanted to do some advertising. I told him I'd let him know if Carol and Sweet Tea would allow it. Sweet Tea and the Galaxy sip, and so I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Okay. So I yeah, I just got rid of him because we got stuff to do. Seems like Ray is pretty sleepy. You've been. Uh, I'm just in a fallow state right now. Oh, gotcha. That master suite, the bed in there isn't very comfortable or what? No, I'm just really tired. I think maybe I'm going through a growth spurt. An age spurt, you know? An age spurt? Age spurt. Yeah, or you just kind of like lock into your cocoon and just age very rapidly. Just gain a lot of years real quick. Yeah, I think that's going to happen soon. Fair enough. You have a cocoon on the pod? Do we have like a cocoon bay back there? Told you, about? there's a lot of different rooms on this ship that seems like no one's aware of. I don't know. It's just it's true. You gotta get Steve on that. Yeah, we don't really like leaving here. It's true. It's tough for me because the, the range of the holographic projector isn't very wide, so you know. It's a problem. 
stuff out here. Anyways, what were, what were we talking about? Well, I, you know what? I just I read that one thing from Zeb. There's honestly only a couple more things I really want to make sure I touch on. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy to speed this mother along. All right. Let's speed it. All right. Um, one thing that um, I guess there's just maybe a couple other lines I wanted to make sure that I at least talked about. And then, you know, I could talk about other stuff as long as we want to. But um, there's a, a, a line when Ren goes back to actually accept that job at Tales and Scales. And I forget the boss there, what his name was, but Mortis. Mortis. At, at some point, mm-hmm. she's saying, like, um, you know, I don't. I don't know if you really want to give me this job. I'm. I'm pretty like maybe you want somebody with a more like upbeat attitude, uh, real happy. Uh, and she's like, maybe I'm really too sad. And he says something like, Every, "Everybody's too sad for everything." Um, end of story. But so like, so so what are you going to do about it? Basically, I think it's the is the implication there. And I think that that idea is actually an interesting one for this book, where there is this sense of like impending doom or like all the stuff is wrong with the world. Right. Um, I think him saying, well, yeah, everybody's too sad for everything. Uh, like that's not an excuse, um, essentially. So like make something of it or do something about it. Um, I think that's a, a, an interesting thought for this one. Yeah. I, uh, well, I don't know. Maybe we should throw it over to Ray. If, if you're going to go oh, yeah. hibernate, go into your fallow state, is there anything that you want to, uh, discuss, touch on before before that happens. Um, can you? I can't think of anything off the well, top of my head. Can I ask you real quick though, just about? I mean, because you know, I think that last time you picked up a lot quicker than me or John. Than like, like guys, uh, Jimmy's a, an asshole. Um, whereas me and John, are like this is great. How would you read this one? Because we also talked about. Uh, just Margaret Atwood being a female writer, writing a male protagonist, um, and, and being convincing with it, right? Um, how right. this one? How this one read for you though with Ren and Toby? I thought the best part about having both Ren and Toby in this book, um, as opposed to her just having one female character that she would kind of tell the story from that point of view, she had two different female characters who were both vastly different. So they both come from kind of the same background, um, rough, rough life. They've been taken advantage of in a lot of different ways, but they both kind of deal with it differently. Um, Toby has kind of gone cold to the world and Ren has sort of embraced, um, maybe embrace isn't the right word, but she's kind of allowed herself to continue to be used in the same way. She's kind of made it like a power as opposed to, um, I, I don't know. It's the, the fact that sh- the author decided to tell both of their stories uh, during this book, as opposed to just having one character. Um, I think it kind of shows depth and I'm uh, sorry. I can't do this. <laughs> I'm having that camera right in my face. <laughs> this isn't like uh, I'm just talking in circles and I, I don't know. I think know. that salesman's like peeking <laughs> through the windows. So. It's kind of creepy. It's, it's I just, I don't, I'm not used to that. I've been alone on the ship for a while now and I can't. Gotcha. Yeah. I think, I mean, with what you're you saying, know what I'm trying to, where I'm trying to go with that sort of. Yeah. No, I mean, I think something I found was interesting. We talked about in the last book, how well Margaret Atwood gets like the, uh, sort of, uh, juvenile boy uh, voice down very well. I think that 
Ren in this book, I think she kind of always stays. I don't know. She, she almost always keeps like kind of a almost a childlike view of the world a little bit. Even when she's working at scales, uh, she still, I don't know, kind of distances herself from that by, I don't know, almost from like a naivete or something. It's, I don't know, maybe that's, I would guess I'd be interested in hearing Ray's opinion of that because it seems like Toby just always is the adult motherly figure and Ren is always like the kind of child that has to be sometimes prodded along because, again, we do hear some narration from her own voice and it's all short sentences, relatively simple thoughts, even though there's these really kind of terrible things that have happened to her. Um, she still, I feel like, kind of maintains um, almost a childlike attitude in, in some ways. Um, yeah, it's that both both women have been sexually abused, like really traumatically for long periods of time. Or that's kind of, or that, that happened to Toby. And Toby doesn't play the victim, I guess. she's She kind of becomes like tougher or um, colder because of that situation. Whereas... Ren kind of goes through, you know, different circumstances and she never really has a father figure in her life and she doesn't even really have a mother figure in her life. She's part of this cult and um, she kind of, she starts by growing up in this really privileged life and then she's taken away and joins this cult and then she's taken away from the cult, which is the only family she's ever known, back to somewhat privileged, you know, in air quotes, privileged life. Um, and I think part of that stunts her growth. And so she never does reach any level of maturity. And instead we kind of see her play the victim, um, pretty much throughout her life. And that's, I think what I was trying to get at before is that she goes back and ends up working for scales and tails and, um, that working there, you know, she's kind of she's putting herself in a situation where she's again being the victim, but this time for money and to make a living and that kind of thing. Whereas Toby tries to like separate herself from the abuse that she was having for, for forever, you know, until she could get away from it um, and join the gardeners and kind of tries to distance herself from that. And Rin sort of goes back to it or puts herself back in a situation where she's being the victim again because she doesn't know how to get get away from it. And so you're just seeing these two really different stories being told throughout the book. And yeah, I think it's interesting because it, it gives us more information about the universe that she's created in, in these novels as a whole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, thinking back to the last book with, uh, Jimmy slash snowman who in some ways was the most adapted character to the world that he lived in. Like he was super cynical, but also pretty quick witted. And I mean, he was an advertising, uh, you know, creative essentially like a copywriter or whatever. And for the world that he was in, he kind of made perfect sense uh, which was the world that was totally destroyed then um, by Crake. So it's, I don't know, I, the funny thing was with those three characters in particular, Ren, uh, Toby, and Jimmy at the very end of the book, Jimmy's like totally out of it, like stunned 
uh, doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Uh, Ren is surviving again by kind of, I don't know, like, again, I, I don't know if it's like a, a defense mechanism per se, but that's the way she gets through the world is by kind of having this slightly naive approach to it, like not letting it get to her. Uh, and then Toby just like, yeah, becomes more of a hard ass to deal with it. Like she has to put up the shell so she can survive. Uh, and then, yeah, Jimmy just can't deal anymore. Whereas before this happened, Jimmy was the best off uh, just based on some other circumstances, I guess. So I don't know. It's just, it's interesting to see how they all are, are meeting now and their comparative circumstances given their vastly different upbringings and backstories. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's where that, that very last scene where they're around that fire and um, Toby is like cook something. And so it's Toby and Ren, Snowman, uh, Amanda, and those two pain ballers who are tied up where that's just such an amazing transformative scene where uh, Toby says, I mean, that's where I think Ray, you said like that she's uh, a healer. Um, at that point, I think she really comes into that role. She says, um, like, no, this is a feast night. Like, we all eat, right? And she says a specific thing that says, like, um, it's not time for dwelling on ultimate purposes. So, like, it's time to eat, right? Um, and then uh, Ren also, I think, has this transformative moment where she sees Snowman Jimmy and says something to him that seems like there's this burden lifted or this change that happens or threshold that's crossed and so both of them like on that last page uh seem like they have maybe crossed the threshold for seemingly the third book um anyway thanks thanks for that um can we get her i don't know i don't want to necessarily cut to rating systems but can we get a rating out of you though maybe i don't want to step on your uh segment either john but before you get in that cocoon cocoon yeah, it's, uh, this is a pre-cocoon rating systems. Special pre-cocoon ed- edition of rating systems. I'm going to give it five and a half gardeners out of four gardeners. Well, thanks, uh... I mean, I guess hopefully you stick around for when we read the next book. Uh, apparently, you can just kind of wander around the ship for long enough, and we probably won't notice. But in, in the intermediate, uh, come hang out with us. Yeah, I'm sorry that I'm not making any sense tonight. I just am really tired, and I need to get my I need to go in and age a little, and then I think I'll come out and be more intelligent, and I can talk about these things a little bit. Well, I'm just mumbling a bunch tonight. Lucky you, we set the bar pretty low for making sense, so uh, not to worry. I'm sure you'll probably get more fan mail than we do, so no worries. Could you do me a favor, though, while I'm in the um, hibernation room? Can you, if you hear from my mom, let her know that I'm okay? I'm just hanging out a little bit longer than was initially planned. Hanging out. Absolutely. Yeah. That would would be good. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Uh, (laughs) Do you know how she'll try and get in touch with us? Like, is she going to write us, write us fan mail and then we'll. No, she'll probably send an owl. Okay. Well, I don't know. I don't speak owl, but we'll figure it out. Maybe Dyson does if we can find him. That's right. That'd be good. Search for Dyson continues. Mm Mm-hmm. Slime thickens. 
All right. Well, okay, well, all right. Send, send off. Cheers. Good, good night. I'll see y'all in a couple thousand years. Till then. Good, good night. Bye. Good luck. Uh, so, 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 John. Yeah. Um, uh, you want to go check out that cave room later? Sounds pretty rad. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll check out cave room, the chrysalis room. Yeah. All the bays that Steve was mentioning last so time. Bays. Looking for the Michael Bay. Mm-hmm. Uh, bay leaves. Explosions in that room, I'm assuming. Yeah. Um, and blue people like the Crakers, maybe. Yeah. 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 Avatar reference. Gotcha. You're welcome, universe. Um, uh, anyways. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Did you have more stuff? Not really. With regards to this book, are we like getting to the... The end times of this podcast. Yeah, I feel like they're near. You know, I feel like we've been preparing for them. I've uh, got this bunker and this arc, and I'm ready for sure. this. Yeah. Great. Well, in that case, it's time for your axe to grind. Uh, welcome, Galaxy, to the axe to grind. This week's axe to grind is actually kind of the opposite of what it normally is. Uh, because I didn't know where else to talk about this, and I didn't really have an, another axe to grind. So, uh, this axe to grind is... Uh, man, yeah, there's not really anybody that I'm, I'm pointing finger at. Uh, I just want to say how much I really enjoyed uh, St. Terry. Uh, so basically, uh, for all you readers, listeners out there, this book uh, is also broken up... Anytime Toby is speaking, uh, the that chapter name is mentioned as the, the feast day of some particular saint uh, in the gardener's religion. Uh, one of them is Saint Terry. Uh, so good old Saint Terry. Um, let's see. The audiobook. Saint Terry's Day is dedicated to all wayfarers, prime among them Saint Terry Fox who ran so far with one mortal and one metallic leg, who set a shining example of courage in the face of overwhelming odds, who showed us that the human body can do in the way of locomotion without fossil fuels, who raced against mortality, and in the end outran his own death and lives on in memory. Uh, so I guess all the naysayers out there who send me hate mail for my belief that all supreme beings have two legs exactly uh just goes to show you if you only have one leg you know get a metallic one fix your problems take care of your own circumstances you're not the victim of them uh get get two legs so what if you only have one metallic uh, leg then grow a human one or get another metallic leg i don't give a shit either way two legs or bust maybe Take it to the bank. <laughs> and that's this week's inverse axe to grind. Yeah, I mean, also, what's the opposite of grinding? Uh, that's uh, a really good question. What, I mean, what are uh, I guess it depends what you're, if you're grinding an axe. Yeah. Is grinding usually, usually mean like sharpening an I think axe? You grind it to sharpen it. So doling, this is your week's <laughs> axe to dull. So I made all of you duller. Axe to You're smash welcome. into a tree. <laughs> Isn't that just cutting down a tree? 
Yeah, yeah. This is your tree to cut down. This is your tree to cut down. I'm your host, Honest Abe. Yep. Or was that George Washington? I don't know. Space Abe. Space Abe. Space Abe. Uh, What other segments do I have to do? Well, Uh, it's time for for this week's Listener Challenge. Uh, This week on Listener Challenge, more number games that you can't win. Hooray. Uh, So... This week on your listener challenge, uh, the chapters in this book take place, uh, or, or they're numbered by the year that they take place. I think it's when the gardeners were established. It seems like um, I know that Ren is the same number of years old as the number of the year, which which I'm pretty sure means it's when the gardeners were established. Yeah, first I can tell. Anyways, the very last chapter takes place in what year? That is your question. Uh, please write in, uh, send faxes, emails, owls, uh, just give it, give Dyson a tattoo that, with the correct answer and send yeah. it back our just, way. Cause we'd love to just don't do that thing where you uh, you uh, come to us in our dreams and, and, and talk to us. I'm not into that. I I might be into that. Don't, we'll see. I don't, don't uh, like that. <laughs> but anyways, uh, the year is 25. So if you can disprove that that is the uh, correct answer, then please write in. But you can't. That's the right answer, so you have no chance. Sorry about that. If you win, you'll get a lovely prize package from Corellin Sweet Tea, the sweetest tea in the galaxy. Sip. Uh, and that was this week's listener challenge. Um, I feel like last, uh, last episode, um, I, I, I started hosting, um, Brent's butt corner, (laughs) uh, which also had (laughs) a, which also had a, an, an, in, an in segment segment, which we'll get to momentarily that you hosted. Um, but, uh. You know, this week it, it never specifically says this, but those those blue Craker butts. Um, oh yeah, I am just wondering when those Crakers were made. You know, like what? And I don't know if it ever actually says like you know, like in Jurassic Park, it tells us pretty clearly like what kind of DNA we're getting. Um, I don't know if it ever actually says in 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 Craker lore, and I'm just wondering if it's some like blue baboon butt or what we're, what we're talking about here. Some lapis lazuli. Some uh, I don't know. Blue-footed booby? Yeah, you got some of that. Blue sure. baboon. Um, blue whale. Man. Blue man group. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's the right one. <laughs> the old blue man group gene. Yeah. Yeah, I. that's a really good question. I, I don't remember well, Brent's butt corner essentially where we just talk about mentions of butts in the books or what? Or just any 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 mentions of any butts. Really, and then that we just hear in our day to day lives. Yeah, mostly just just hearsay about butts. Well, speaking of blue butts, being a blue holographic projection, it's something that I can. Uh, I was going to say I could get behind, but it could technically <laughs> get behind me, or has or exists back there. So there's that. Okay. 
now, now what was what was my segment? Um, what was my post segment segment? I think uh, it was something about about songs related to butts, songs about butts. Oh yeah, of course. Songs. Uh... And now it's time for everyone's favorite segment: songs about butts. Uh, hey, everyone in the galaxy. I'm your host, John Love, and with me as always, Brent Buttman Aldrich. Oh, hey. Hi, Brent. Hey, hey, John. Hey, Brent, what's your favorite song about butts? Um, This week, um, it is the... Actually, the only reason I remember this segment is because I have a new one for this week that I want to talk about, which is... uh, A new segment? No, a new song. A new favorite song about butts. Oh, man. I can't imagine if we got triple deep into segments. Um, a new song, a uh, new favorite song for this segment, which is uh, uh, Taj Mahal's song, uh, Big Leg Mamas Are Back in Style Again, uh, which contains such classic lines as, uh, you ain't had no Juicy Lucy till you've been <laughs> by one of them. There's <laughs> just kissy noises <laughs> for lyrics. <laughs> Which great. Which actually now I guess does lead me to my triple deep segment, which is, uh, you know, the best lyrics to replace, which is kissy noises, uh, in in other songs. <laughs> so you replace just lyrics from lyrics. other songs with kissy noises. Yeah, that's this segment. Okay. <laughs> so is it a question like? You what what song lyrics do I want to see replaced by kissy noises? Yeah, and I think just go ahead and you know, and and, and do the do this little switcheroo. Okay, <laughs> I got it. I got it. I'm, I'm picking up where you're laying down. Okay, okay. So here we go. Ready? Yeah. Mbop dapa. Do yeah, yeah. Very good. Okay. Okay. You... Light. I love it. Um. Um. Okay. On heaven's door. <laughs> it's pretty good. I I didn't know you were supposed to go to the beat. I was just. I don't think you. Have, I don't think that's. I get really it now. A, a requisite. I'll be better next time. And that's been your favorite Triple Deep segment. Uh, songs to replace with kissy noises. Uh, and now, welcome back to Songs About Butts. Uh, my favorite song about butts, kind of, is Remix to Ignition by R. Kelly. Good and choice. That's been, <laughs> and that's been Songs About Butts. Uh, welcome back to Brent's Butt Corner, and uh, thanks for joining us another week. Well, see you next time, butt lovers. Uh, and now it's time for everyone's favorite segment. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven worms for Dyson. Uh, Dyson's on here, so end of segment. Now it's time for everybody's actual favorite segment, rating systems. Take a look. It's in a book. Rating systems. Uh, hi, Galaxy. Welcome to Rating Systems. I'm your host, John Love, and with me as always is Brent Aldrich. Hi, Brent. I said your name weird. I like it. John Love. <laughs> uh, all right. 
So uh, we already got one early rating for this book from Ray. Uh, what do you give it? Um, well, I, I do want to kind of rate it compared to Orcs and Crakes uh, since they're in a series. And uh, that's actually really tough because I did really love Orcs and Crake, but I think I may have uh, enjoyed this book, The Year of the Flood, even more. Um, so I give it an even more. Great, great rating. Uh, yeah, I, I believe that I gave, if I did not give Oryx and Crake a perfect two legs out of two legs, then I gave it something very close to that. And I, too, enjoyed this book even more than Oryx and Crake. Um, I feel like, and we didn't, didn't really talk about the kind of, uh, I don't know, political satire, political implications of some of the things going on in this one. Uh, but they're even better. I feel like the perspective um, coming from, again, kind of the lower class of society on these uh, on these events is more interesting. Uh, I, I'm going especially deep into defending my rating this week. I don't know why, but like it merits it. Um, I feel like. There weren't as many disgusting references to creatures that had more than two legs uh, or less than, like the goddamn chicky knobs, chicken hookworm BS from last time. Uh, what else? Um, yeah, it was it was great. I, um, I think I mentioned last time that uh, even though it was a comp- the Orcs and Crake was a complex narrative, uh, it was still a page turner. This one was an even more complex and also, I think, more interesting uh, narrative and was just as much of a page turner, if not more so. So, yeah, this is a slam dunk, two out of two legs, uh, and that'll do it. That's how we play rating systems, so why don't you take a look? It's in a book. Rating systems. Uh, thanks, John. Man, that was just a, a regular cavalcade of uh, segments there to close this episode out. Yeah, we gotta we gotta do what we gotta do. That's right. Once the once our guests go away, we can re- really get into them. <laughs> yeah. So I I really am looking forward to reading uh, the final one, Mad Adam. Um, and mm-hmm. finishing out this trilogy, I think it'll actually be of all of the series that we've finished or we've started. This may be the first one that we'll actually finish. All these others, like freaking Dune, Hitchhiker's Sky, they just keep going. Yeah. Um, but this one, I feel like yep. uh, we might actually get some closure on, which would be terrific. For sure. Yeah. Um, even, well, and I think we have plans to finish the other ones too. But yeah, this one is such such a high level that. Uh, I mean, like I said, the ratings so far have been so good that yeah, we can't we can't stop. Mm-hmm. This one's addictive. Can't stop. Uh, can't stop. So good on you, Margaret Atwood. We're coming for Matt Adam. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, and if uh, I guess that leaves us with only one more thing we are bound to do, uh, and that is wrapping this out. Uh, All right, that's John. Yeah. 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 Year of the flood. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
Sunday bloody Sunday blood. Kinda rhymes. Need more time. Yo, 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 yo. Margaret Atwood. Not a dead wood to grind your axe on. Take a make a tax on. Make a tax on the forest. Why would you do that? Forest is for people. It's for nature. See you later. Yep. 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 <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm not feeling the beat. I'm not feeling the beat yet. I'll, I'll get into it. Give me a second. I feel like just just a quick, uh, just something quick before I get into my sick verse. I feel like this uh, salesman is still looking through the window at me creepily. Oh, it's so creepy. And it's unsettling. Uh, so try, try there's sp- that. Can we spook him? Can we spook him with rhyme? <laughs> Spooky raps, let's go. Spooky raps. Yep. Spooky rap. <laughs> yep. Yep. Spoo. Chicken hook worm. Read a book. Like squirms. That's a book I wrote. It's got a note in it. It's from your friend John. I hope you're loving it. Like McDonald's. Drink it down with your Corel and sweet tea. You're going to see me uh, at the mall. Find some shoes for my two legs. That's all. Find some shirts for my friends. Because they're a ball to hang out with. You should hang out with them. Yep. This rap didn't end up too spooky. But I like to get stinky like Dookie. I don't take showers often because I'm a holographic projection. None of that rhymed because I got an erection for raps. They turn me on. They make me blue. That's a reference to the book. It's not crap. I'm about to lap this beat. That means run around it twice before it catches up with me. It's like four beats Per minute, and I'm rapping at least eight words within it. You see that green rabbit? I'm gonna skin it. Gonna cook the meat and get with it. Not do anything crazy besides eat it. Is what I mean. That's not what I meant by get with it. So sorry about that. Uh, see ya. Spooky raps. See ya. Three wraps out. Boy. Someone told me it's all happening at the zoo. I do believe it. I do believe it's true. Mm-hmm. 
hit and tumble journey from the east side to the park Just to find a fancy ramble to the zoo But you can take a cross-town bus if it's raining or it's cold And the animals will love it if you do all happen at the zoo I do believe it I do believe it's true Missionaries, pigeons, plot, and secret. 